Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the British Wrestling Experience. I'm your host today, Benno. With me as always, it's Jamesy. Hi, Jamesy. Hi, Benno. How are you? Very well. Good to see you. We uh, we missed you on the last BWE, but uh, we had you over on Spotlight on Grapple. That was fun. Uh, if, if any uh, post-listeners didn't listen to that, got to catch up with you about hailing. I learned a lot about it, Jamesy, <laughs> that, uh, that I'm not sure I wanted to know. <laughs> not I learned about things. I had JP teaching me things about my my local soccer team from home that I didn't even know about. <laughs> so um, I think JP I think JP Hulahan is officially the, um, the the top Irish man of the of the podcast circuit at the moment, and I'd have to come second place to him. I think. Wow! 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 High praise, uh, but yeah, if anyone, wants, if anyone does want to learn anything about Irish stuff, uh, about Glenrow, uh, you can definitely check that out if you missed Jamesy last week. But uh, this week, obviously, no Martin Bushby, so uh, taking his place. Uh, Coming back onto the podcast, it's Will Cooling of PW Torch fame. Will, how are you? Yeah, see, my my name's changed now. I get another month, and I won't be fighting Spirit Magazine's Will Cooling. So it's a, it's a good job I've made a transition already. Otherwise, I'd be looking around aimlessly <laughs> trying to find someone to let me give hot takes about pro wrestling. <laughs> I mean, yes, no, I'm good, thank you. It's a, it's about a bit about a week, two weeks since we last saw each other, and I think we're both much more sober. Than we were when we last uh, last parted. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, I'm just uh, topped up on coffee today, to be honest, because yeah, I, I had a long weekend in Manchester and Liverpool catching all kinds of wrestling, taking ferries across the Mersey, and yeah, uh, I'm, I'm getting too old for uh, for four days of drinking. I don't think I'm. Uh, hopefully by SummerSlam I get over it. But yeah, Will, I was um, listening to to your podcast on the torch and. Obviously, this episode, we're going to have a lot of news to go through. Uh, it's going to be mainly a news-focused podcast. We've got a couple of reviews in there from from my big weekend and also got a cu- couple of notes from the uh, the last OTT show, a bit of WXW news as well. But I had to laugh, Will. I was listening to you on the torch, and as you said on the episode, you'd kind of recorded half, then all this Brit res news broke, so then you had to kind of stitch the podcast back together. I felt so bad for you that, uh, yeah, maybe was it a Tuesday you recorded on? Never a good day to, to record no, no. Like, I recorded Saturday mm. um, in the in like early noon. Mm. Put that because what I usually do, do stuff, and then I'll take a break, and then I'll do the reviews. Mm. So I do the new stuff. I was taking a break, and then I saw the stuff from Voices of Wrestling, mm. and there was like I decided to basically sleep on it. So I was like, if this is like absolutely confirmed. Mm. I'm probably going to have to redo all the new stuff. Mm. And by the time I woke up, it was kind of more in that grey, maybe air, maybe room. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll just put the first hour out, just add in that bit about what else had broken uh, since. So, mm. but, but yes, it was that kind of thing like, I just spent a recording that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a very big news for very big week. Sorry for uh, for Brit Res news this week to the point where I don't even really know where to start, lads. Do we start with Defiant closing down? Do we start with Jim Smallman leaving Progress? There's all kinds of WWE Network related news. Uh, so we should probably start at the top with uh, with Defiant closing down. It's not every week uh, that you get a Brit Res promotion closing down, although it might it might start to feel like it. Uh, yeah, after after three long years uh defiance have uh, announced at the closing they were obviously previously uh what culture pro wrestling people might know them a little bit better under that name uh they kind of 
rose from the the what culture website so they had a lot of they got a lot of criticism early on from the likes of us for using the uh the youtube personalities of what culture to kind of get the start they did a, a lot of expensive fly-ins uh there was a i don't know it, it, it was kind of a promotion that did seem to have like an endless supply of money at the start. Obviously, lots happened over at Walk Culture with those various personalities leaving and the promotion uh, later on becoming defiant and maybe having more of a, a Brit res edge than you know bringing in the likes of Kurt Angle and such. But it was a very important promotion as far as you know bringing in outside fans, lots of of casual maybe WWE fans who hadn't really had a, a taste of British wrestling uh, that I've spoken to kind of got in via Defiant. Uh, I don't know, you first, James, what was uh, what was your reaction to the news that, uh, that Defiant was closing down? And did you have a... It wasn't really a promotion for me, but did you have any particular attachment to yourself to them? I, I can't imagine you will have uh, gotten to, a, to one of their shows. No, I never went to see one and not a promotion that I was promotion that, that, that I would have been in the habit of watching on a regular basis um, mm. like it's always sad I suppose first of all to say it's always promotion when a promotion has to close its doors um, mm. it's a place for talent to go and earn money it's a place for talent to gain experience um, Newcastle area like they, they they had really been running Newcastle and it was my there at the end so for, for the local fans in Newcastle it's out that they don't get to have anymore on a regular basis, you know. So, mm. um, and that's whenever a promotion closes down, that, that that's your first feeling, you know what I mean. But I suppose once that kind of sinks in, I I don't think I was hugely surprised mm. that that they kind of packed it in at the end there. Uh, I think particularly in the early days, it was always I it was one of those you know promotions come along every now and again where things are just too good to be true. You know mm. what I mean? Like they were they were spending massive money on big name imports, bringing in Minoru Suzuki, Kurt Angle, Alberto Del Rio, Cody Rhodes. Um, they had all the top British talents, spending huge money. Um, ticket prices were low, so they weren't bringing in like they were getting some good crowds because of the low ticket prices, but they weren't making money from the ticket sales and they were massively over-reliant on, on the YouTube business model where they were basically, um, it was basically YouTube monetization where they were basically getting money from YouTube based on how many viewers they had. And like some of the numbers that they were doing on YouTube are unbelievable. Mm. Like the, you know, based off the success of the initial YouTube channel and website. Um, like I was just looking, I was just flicking through their YouTube channel there last night, just when I was kind of thinking about what to say on the podcast and that kind of thing. And some of the videos, like there, there, there's a video of, of a random enough rumble match that they had. Mm. Um, I think it was in 2017 and it's, it's nearly close to 1 million viewers. You wow. know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's WWE level numbers. You know what I mean? So there was a viewership there, but I think what really, really hurt them then was when YouTube changed their policy and monetization. Yeah. And it, it kind of really vastly reduced the amount of money. And they weren't the only promotion that, that suffered from that. I remember Beyond Wrestling in America would have been another one that kind of relied heavily on YouTube numbers in the last few years to kind of to get money and that kind of thing. So suddenly they were spending huge. They weren't bringing in money in the traditional way through video on demand and through ticket prices. And the money they were getting from YouTube completely dried up. So... Mm. You know, um, and and I've heard quite a lot of talk uh, from people that, that WWE were that were to blame for for the, for them dying off and that kind of thing, and I think there were many factors in it, but I think the chief factor w w was was the business model 
the initial business model was completely unrealistic. Um, and when YouTube changed their policy, it never had any hope of working. You know what I mean? And mm. yes, WWE, WWE were a factor because they, they WWE kind of, um, you know, when, when they set up the initial UK tour, tournament and that kind of thing um you know william regan made that speech about no restrictions and that kind of thing but almost immediately there were certain promotions that were a no-go zone for wwe workers um you know obviously world of sport was was the reason the whole thing was set up in the first place but they were anti-flow slam they were anti-what culture as well um so straight away they were denied that whole kind of you know they weren't even allowed to have the lesser down wwe guys and that Mm. kind of thing and when the when what culture pro wrestling as it was called died off, I thought that was it, and then they came back as defiant, and it was a different promotion. They they were they were just like I think they were kind of a almost a, a super promotion. I think in the early early days mm. when they came back, they were just another UK indie really more than anything else, and and not a particularly special indie, not an indie that that, that did anything to stand out from the from the crowd really. Um, you never heard of them having must see matches like there were a few matches last year that were very very good um but like this year it's been very very quiet and very barren and um it just kind of all petered out in the end i think Mm -hmm. and um it is sad but also i think um it it was never going to succeed based on the initial business model it just couldn't have you know no that's it i mean the the initial business model i think that they were they were really like you say jamesy pushing hard with the youtube stuff i mean just based on what you said there i mean they're I mean, you were never getting it with uh, with the current incarnation of Defiant, but that Rey Mysterio Alberto El Patron uh, match that they've got on there from the from the World Cup, which was most people, myself included, most kind of exposure to, to what culture just yeah. Defiant. The World Cups were genuinely, you know, impressive. The talent they brought in and some of the, the great matches they put together. I remember being live for a Will Osprey Speedball Mike Bailey match that I absolutely love. But oh yeah, yeah great match. Yeah, that um, Rey Mysterio Alberto El Patron match. 52 and a half million views on YouTube. And that's not a mistake. It's not 5.2 million. 52 million and a half. Uh, like, think if the, if there was YouTube re- revenue turned on for that, well, think of the money they could have made. I mean, oh, yeah. do, do you do you give any more, well, do you give any more kind of, I don't know, uh, merit to, to their initial business plan? Do you think it could have worked if, you know, certain things hadn't happened, if the YouTube revenue hadn't been pulled, if, if WWE hadn't made them an enemy from day one? And let's all be fair, you know, what culture did make WWE the enemy from day one with some of their videos and some of the comments of their wrestlers on the shows? Uh, they were immediately public enemy number one when, uh, when WWE UK came onto the scene. But was there ever a chance, Will? Well... The chance, the chance is basically you speculate to accumulate. So mm. you you lose money in the short term to hopefully get the big break that completely transforms your business model. Which is you know it sounds crazy, but it's basically what's happening in America with AEW. Like AEW is bleeding money at the moment, it with the expectation that in two maybe three years time they'll have built themselves up to the point where they're profitable. Mm. And I think the real a uh, big loss opportunity British wrestling was that weird interregnum between the World of Sport pilot mm. and the summer of 2017, where ITV suddenly had like a crisis of confidence. Mm. Like they wanted to do wrestling. They didn't think they could do it. And they basically talked to TNA and What Culture about which wrestling promotion they were going to bring in to help them actually manage it and do not just do the programming, but also do the live events as well. Mm. And I know what culture, no, they were the, they were the two. 
and they went with TNA and then couldn't get the deal done. And by that point, they'd kind of recovered their confidence, eventually decided to go back to work with Alex Shane and doing it in-house. Mm. But like, if they'd spent all that money to get themselves in a position where they could do professional stuff, and they were like, you look at some of those, those, those character-building videos they were doing, they were slick, they look great. Like you compare the Joe Hendry stuff for what culture to the ICW stuff. Like I, I there's a real charm to like the Joe Hendry music videos mm. in ICW, but you couldn't put them on TV. You could put the ones he did on what culture on TV. They were that well produced. Mm. You spent all that money. ITV look at your stuff. They're impressed. They put you on TV. Well, that's a game changer, that isn't it? Because mm. then you have ITV, which would hopefully help you with YouTube when the demonetization stuff happens. But also you have a much bigger platform to actually start maybe increasing your prices slightly while still selling out your venues and selling more merchandise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So in terms of could it last? No, it was a short-term gamble. But the reality is, is you're always going to need that short-term gamble because the way you make money in pro wrestling is TV rights fees and pay-per-view. Mm. And you're always going to lose money until you hit the level when people start spending real money on you. Mm. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, it was a, unfortunately a, a gamble that didn't pay off in the end, but like you say, well, it, it, it well could have. And, you know, again, it's a promotion that, Maybe we didn't cover in a huge amount of deal detail on this podcast. We'd we'd look at them from from time to time. You know when maybe when the World Cups were happening or when there was something particular that kind of uh, brought our attention. But you know they were a big part. I think of a lot of people's Brit Res fandom. They were you know bringing mm-hmm. over the likes of Minoru Suzuki to to the north. You know Rev Pro weren't doing that at the time and putting together you know big matches like Kurt Angle and uh, uh, putting Kurt Angle in there with the likes of Zack Saber Junior and making stars out of Travis Banks and Martin. K- Maybe. So, right. Oh, go ahead, Bill. I've got a funny story because I actually went to their first show. Mm. Um, and it was, it was kind of a fluke. This is when I was more like a UFC uh, journalist, but mm. um, it was when you had the big Bisping Henderson UFC in Manchester, mm. and they were running Manchester as well. And because the UFC was starting at like midnight, I was actually able to watch most of the fight uh, of the What Culture show. So I'm there and I'm just like doing interviews with various people. And I'm watching the meet and greet. Mm. Nobody goes to Suzuki because it's before he was on a New Japan World. Because mm-hmm. it was still in the Noah era. So you literally did not like, honestly, I was looking, I could look directly onto him. I, I would, if, if, if five people went up to him and got something signed, wow. that it would be, it'd be no more. And you <laughs> think 18 months later, he sells out the same building for New Japan against Ishii. Very interesting. Yeah. Kind of it shows you the power I think what that speaks to as well, and it was a point I was going to make, was like, and you met, you touched on it there, Benno. Mm. They, they they were a very unique fan base to watch yes. culture. They yes. wouldn't be the fans who were watching Japanese wrestling and that kind of thing. But I think what what the, if you're to kind of talk about, it, you know, it'd be nice to talk about, is there a positive legacy that comes from what culture or is there something that will be their legacy in Britress? And I think their legacy in Britress is there's a big, big cohort of WWE fans who are fans of the what culture YouTube channel and that kind of thing, mm. who kind of um, when when this promotion started up, 
were exposed to indie wrestling mm. and became became educated about indie wrestling. And I think what culture's legacy is that it was a gateway for mainstream fans in Britain into British wrestling fans. Mm. And and I think, you know, uh, when they realized, when these fans then realized, like, like you're thinking that was 2017 when British Rest was really firing on all cylinders, you know what I mean? Mm. Like Rev Pro were running those really, really good shows. You had the, you know, they had Kurt Angle in, in Rev Pro and they were easily selling out um, York Hall and that kind of thing. So they, 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 it introduced a lot of mainstream fans into the British Rest scene and those fans have kind of stuck with British wrestling, you know what I mean? So mm. I think that's, you know, if we're to talk about what's what's good about what, 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 what culture did, mm. I, I think introducing that cohort of fans to, to independent wrestling is 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 the is the good thing that they did, I suppose, for the scene. Definitely, we can. Uh, I think with that, we can probably forgive some of the sins, like when they did have Minoru Suzuki and they cut his music off, music off before Kazunina Ray uh, played. Uh, we'll let yeah. the, we'll we'll let that they go. Known anyway. <laughs> That's it. No one would have cheered anyway. But no, yeah, exactly. Kind, kind of shows, yeah, that that unique fan base that they, they seem to attract and like you say they made they did make a lot of brit res fans out of people so yeah if they provide us anything uh at least it was that but you know other than the defiant closing this week the other big news uh that's kind of had uh, a lot of people in brit res talking is uh jim smallman uh, one of the three co- co-owners of progress announcing in a short video he posted to his twitter that as of chapter 100 at the end of this year on december the 30th he's going to be leaving progress wrestling uh both as a ring announcer uh, and it sounds like, as a part of the promotion altogether, no indication he's going to be staying on as any kind of silent owner. Yeah, he's outright said he's going to be leaving the company to, to John Brawley and Glenn Joseph. And yeah, he, he sees himself now as he's going to be a fan going forward. And yeah, to say this is a, a big loss to, to progress would be uh, the understatement of the year. I mean, Smallman, for, for some of us as critics, including, you know, on this show, sometimes, you know, I'd be very guilty. In fact, most of the time these days of uh, clicking over his, uh, his, uh, his long monologues at the start of shows. But make no mistake, they were very, very important to the atmosphere of progress for, for new fans going to shows, always kind of uh, attached to that and and. Jim was a big part of kind of the progress presentation. And if anything, of those three owners summed up what progress was, the whole punk rock aesthetic was kind of based on him. He was just kind of a, a one-man uh, walk in progress, really. So with him being so attached to to what progress is, to say this is a bit of a, a body blow to a promotion that, you know, I've uh, myself been quite critical of the last couple of years that's maybe not been as, uh, to say the least, uh, not as strong as it's been the last couple of years. Uh, a massive change here, James Ian. Yeah, I think, I think uh, come January, uh, once Jim Smallman leaves, I think we should probably expect a very, very different uh, progress altogether. Yeah, that, that's exactly it, man. And I mean, you, you've been kind of making kind of slightly tongue in cheek and I think slightly kind of provocative tweets during the week about Brit Rest <laughs> being, being dead. I don't think you're being 100% serious, but I think there's, there's a part of it that is quite serious. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that's probably a discussion we might save for later in the podcast. But mm. um, if Brit Rest isn't dead, I think Smallman leaving progress, to my mind, the old progress is now dead. Mm. I think he was the last link to the original progress you know what i mean like um as you said benno he he, he was progress pro wrestling in a lot of ways like he 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 was he symbolized the atmosphere they wanted to have at shows they were about inclusiveness they were about making people feel welcome mm. they were about being punk rock they were about being yourself and he like in everything he did and everything he said he 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 
epitomize those progress ideals you know what i mean and um like you i i have long since gotten tired of a shtick <laughs> um i i haven't I literally skip to the opening bell of a first match now on those shows because it's it is very much the same thing, you know. And for guys like us who who, who have been watching now for ninety odd shows, mm. it's very much the same thing over and over. And in it, 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 there comes a point where it just starts to grate on you a little bit. Um, but that's us, and we're you know we're cynical elegiacs, and we you know <laughs> we um we, we like to find things to to to, to criticize and we like to find things to poke fun at like for for new fans coming to those shows he was a big big deal you know what i mean mm-hmm. and anybody that you showed a progress show to for the first time he was one of the things that people would comment on and like um i chat to a lot of uh, wrestling fans in america like uh, you might remember wrestling with words the the website that was going there a few years ago and when that kind of kicked the bucket we kept the slack chat going so um i'd be in regular contact with a lot of guys from america who who, who watch uk wrestling and that kind of thing mm. and to them smalling was amazing you know what i mean to, to them smalling is because they, they would never have seen an mc or a ring announcer like like smalling before you know what i mean a, a kind of a, a cross between an mc and a comedian um who kind of was so relaxed and so chatty and he, you know he, he drew people in you know what i mean and you know, um, he's he's gone, or he's going to be gone, and he, he it's he leaves behind. And I mean, we're we're only talking about the on-screen thing. You know what I mean? Um, mm. Like that—that's his on-screen legacy. But um, as you said, it seems to be that he's leaving the company completely. I think somebody directly asked him on Twitter: "Is it just?" that you're not going to ring announce anymore or is it that you're leaving full time? And he more or less said, I'm, I'm completely finished with progress in all my roles in the company, you know? Mm. And I mean, we've never really gotten to the bottom of what what are the exact roles of the three guys in the background. Mm. But I, that's one of the things I'll be watching for with a very interested eye now is like, to my mind, they seemed to be struggling a lot to carry the workload of running progress, which became, which was running very, very regularly doing their NXT jobs. And that was when there was three of them. So now it's down to two. So how is that going to work in the future? You know what I mean? When mm. when they were already kind of very, very badly stretched. So I'll be interested to see, do they bring in help? Do they start getting help with things like the VOD? You know, the much, the much derided five to seven days and that kind of thing. Is it still sustainable for them to be doing that and trying to run the company and do their NXT jobs? Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, I don't know what you think, Will. <clears throat> yeah, um, it's a really weird one because I think he's basically the like Benedict, like the heart and soul of progress. And the kind of comparison I've used is the old Odie Falls and Horses sketch about Triggs' broom, where Triggs bows and how he's got the same broom for like twenty years, <laughs> and the broom end countless times. And it's like when you start rattling through all the things they've lost in the past eighteen months, two years, it's like once Smallman goes. What is left? You know, what is left of this thing called progress? Yeah. And it's like weird because, like, one thing I think is important to convey, particularly to any Americans who are listening, is there is that kind of assumption that he is—he he's the one who runs progress. But I think anybody who kind of looks at behind the scenes, anybody who's watched the documentary they did about progress, John Briley is the man who runs progress. It's he was the one. Who, who, who went full-time as an employee of Progress, working there full-time. He's the one with the largest share of the ownership mm. um, across the three, three mates. John Briley is a guy who runs Progress in terms of the organisation. But the, the kind of the ethos 
came from Smallman. Mm. And how do you replace that ethos is is really baffling to me. And one of the things I find very confusing about the situation, although understandable, is he's doing this long goodbye. He's not going until the end of December. Everybody keeps talking about how progress is rebuilding, how they're trying to get new guys over, how they're trying to refresh the product. So they're going to do that and then have to do it again in January? Like, again, like I understand how he it, it's fair that he stays t- until Chapter 100, but you almost think it'd be far better for everybody if he just left at Ali Pali mm. and let them do the big refresh then rather than drag this out until December. Because you come up, they're, they're, their season ticket, they're, sorry, their ticket sales have drastically suffered mm-hmm. uh, since Super Strong Style. They had their first show ever, or not first ever, first show in a long time to not sell out. They will struggle for the next one because they probably don't have any of the WWE UK guys. Mm-hmm. You have the season tickets coming back on sale in October, November time. Are people who are currently season ticket holders who now know there's a decent chance that if they don't want to attend a show, they won't be able to get shot off their tickets? Will they renew? Yeah. And what will Progress offer them? They, Progress won't be in a position to tell them what the, the product or the promotion will look like mm-hmm. come January. Yeah, that's it. And it's... For me, I, I can and me and you have agreed on this, Will, both on it on social media and other podcasts. But for me, that is gonna be the wake up call for progress fans. That is gonna be the moment where even the most died in the wall, you know, loyal progress fan group posted T shirt buying fans who, you know, love all things pro- progress, love Jim Smallman, you know, the critiques that, you know, the likes of us might make about the progress product, maybe they don't quite see or, or don't agree with. I do think once you pull Jim out of the equation once. If they do do it, they try and do a, a rebrand. And I think you have to. I think if you take Jim Smallman out of the out of the equation, it's a different progress altogether. I don't think you can stick with the, the punk rock branding as much. I think you do need to give it a, a new coat of paint. But one of the costs of, of giving it that new coat of paint is going to be that it's going to be immediately obvious that this is a different progress. And, you know, I'll always liken it to, you know, Nitro in the late 90s where, you know, as it was kind of dying off, uh, you still kind of had the old sets you could cling to. Oh, it's still WCW, it's still good. And then as soon as they changed that, that Nitro 99, 2000 set, uh, it kind of became, I don't know, it was like a wake-up call as to as to what had, had actually changed and that it, this was an entirely different product and you associate that new look Nitro with the bad Nitro and you associate the, the old kind of set with the good old days. And I think, yeah, although I, th- I do kind of think Progress have got no real choice in, in, in rebranding in some form and, and giving it a new coat of paint, you do run that danger of just kind of turning the lights on and making it really obvious uh, that this is not the same progress wrestling um and it won't be it can't be and i do think we're like you said will we're already seeing you know ballrooms shows not selling out and that was a show without jim uh we're already seeing kind of to know that progress have obviously slowed this year as far as any kind of you know spreading their wings and trying too many new cities in the uk or at least running regularly in new cities including cities like you know birmingham and manchester that were seem to be uh, what would have been strong goals for progress that have kind of been put on the back burner this year and one of my big questions that i've kind of asked as well if jim smallman's leaving 
He's leaving because it sounds like he's got his day job with NXT UK, but so does Glenn Joseph, so does John Briley. Why are they sticking around? And maybe the answer is that Progress is still a profitable company, so why not? Uh, maybe the answer is in a, another story we're going to talk about a little bit about rumours about them going on the network at some point, so it's kind of network content at that point, but... It does feel to me that progress is already not really high on the list of priorities of the of the three owners, and if you're left with with two owners, um, I'm kind of questioning Jamesy why they're still there and what what the kind of thinking they can do with this this product when you take out something so crucial in Jim. It's uh, it's really going to be a an interesting next couple of years. Yeah, and and the. Uh... The thing that I thought of almost immediately and then I heard Will kind of speculate the same on his own podcast was, I wonder, are they bringing Smallman on board to, to do what he does for progress on screen, but for NXT UK, maybe mm. um, just to give those to give the shows because they have they've an American ring announcer at the moment and to give them just a more British feel to maybe, mm. I don't know, do, do they feel like he would be someone that could get people into the building? Perhaps mm. I don't know. Just yeah. again, you know, yeah. to just it was something I thought maybe yeah. it's just like when a wrestler leaves. Maybe Maybe he's got it. He's got another. He's got another gig on the network himself. He's you know what I mean? Put the suit um, on. Yeah, will he put the suit on? Yeah, that'll be that'll be the end of any pretensions towards punk rock if he puts the suit on. That'll uh, be completely the end of. He's a forty-something year old man. It's it's about time he retired the backwards baseball card games. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> That's a Robert line of ever I heard. Of. <laughs> that, you were ta- sorry. Go ahead. But that is the reason why he would go and the others wouldn't because he yeah, is going to exactly, be yeah front of house mm. and WWE wouldn't want that confusion. I, I mean, the other one as well is, is that he's the only one with young children. I mean, um, he's, he's the one who doesn't live near London. So it might just be his talent, you know, like yeah. you always yeah. have to remember these things have their lifespan and, you know, they've been, they've been running hard with progress for a while mm. and he might just, he might just want an easier life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's uh, you yeah. can't blame it. You absolutely can't blame him if, if that's the case. No, and I, I kind of think as well. Yeah, if I'm based on what progress is right now, if I was him, I, I can't say I wouldn't do it either. And again, if I was the other two, I think I'd be considering it too. But you know, t- tied into all this, and obviously we're gonna probably a bigger discussion to have in a second. But obviously, WWE Network is now relaunched uh, with the new version. They've moved on from the uh, the Bam Tech uh, design finally, and we've uh, we've moved on to a, a bit more of a modern Netflix looking UI. Very, a couple of eagle-eyed people noticed if you uh, search for certain keywords, you can find some ICW videos sat there uh, locked away in the backgrounds on the network. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a, a tier system introduced in in the near future, long rumoured and uh, now alluded to uh, in the WW conference calls as something that is outright going to be happening. Uh, I would expect progress kind of makes part of that package um i think i think we're probably going to see both of those promotions and potentially wxw um on the network going forward and it it kind of ties in with another story as well you know there's rumors now of voices of wrestling reported that are nxt uk talent uh once again i mean i don't know what year this is guys but uh well another story <laughs> about uh, uh nxt uk guys not being able to appear on vod we've definitely been here before several times um but it is a, it is one of those stories that does go back and forth and they change their mind and then all of a sudden nxt uk talent can appear on vod for for approved indies but yeah it's something i've, I've kind of heard you talk about will that you know if maybe that applies to 
all of the other indies in the UK, the one, even the ones that have been friendly, you know, your likes of a, a Future Shock who've, who've managed to use NXT UK guys. But if this ICW, um, but not even a rumor, you know, these ICW videos are on 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 the network. But if Progress are following too, uh, do you kind of see that's that the way it's going? Will that maybe these guys, rather than maybe being NXT UK exclusive, we could see them being WWE Network exclusive, and maybe all of these stories tied together. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the way it makes logical sense to me. It definitely doesn't feel like it's an immediate thing because, mm. you know, we'll talk about it later. Some of the announcements, I say, like Fight Club Pro have made, you know, they, they don't chime with um, the idea that they wouldn't be able to put those matches on the VOD because they're storyline matches. But there's no reason once the premium tier of the network is up and running, once Progress, WXW, ICW um, are all on the network, that you couldn't go to a system where it's like, our guys are exclusive to the network, you as our friends can still get access to them, mm. but it's to boost your live attendance. Mm. And actually, you look at the way most friends of WWE are you um, WWE UK guy. That's kind of what they're there for, but they're not really integral. Like, you know, I go to Fight Club Pro every month. Other than Walter, who was in Fight Club Pro storylines before he signed with WWE UK, they're very much in the mid-card. They're kept away from Shider. They're, they're kept away from the, the title pictures. They're just there so the, the fans in attendance can see people who are famous. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason why you couldn't go to dark matches, which, you know, look, I remember going, going to shows such as Lucha Forever, where you would have to throw WWE UK guys onto dark matches because it's going on flow slap so it can work um mm. it's just what they decide to do in the end because the thing with wwe is, is they're constantly changing their minds mm. yeah that's the thing i mean I, th- I do think the biggest effect of something like this is gonna be you know if they like you say will start pulling guys from doing live appearances as well you know, the likes of, you know, I was at a Future Shock show this weekend and they do rely on, while they do have a VOD, it's not really the most important thing about their product. It's the it's the live kind of tickets that they sell. So I think they'll probably be okay if they can t- continue to use these guys. But I don't know, there's kind of a an underlying point there as well, James. I mean, is it, I mean, I've kind of thought it before, but is it almost better for some of these, promo- these promotions that have kind of got, one foot in, one foot out, or these wrestlers with NXT UK contracts who are kind of one foot in, one foot out, and can sometimes work promotions and sometimes can't, and there's all kinds of these restrictions. I mean, obviously, the the idea would be all of these guys can continue to work for the for any indie, you know, a Rev Pro even, or or any of the British promotions. That would be the ideal. But if it's for me, if it's a choice between them having one foot in and one foot out, and it and them not really being able to be put in prominent positions and promotions for fear that WWE may pull them, maybe it's better that it becomes maybe a little bit more black and white, and maybe it's better that you know some of these promotions are are almost forced now to to just start developing their own guys and obviously there's going to be a big loss there from as far as a drawing point of view but to just yeah work without the nxt uk talent is the is the clarification in in some ways if it is we do get clarification uh, a positive thing jamesy i think you're right ben in a way it's a bit like that whole tearing off a plaster thing almost you know mm. it hurts initially but, but it's it's far the best in the long run you know what i mean because um like I think one of the things that has been hurt more than anything 
by the NXT UK. You know, like you could talk about business being hurt by NXT UK. I think nearly the most hurtful thing for promotions has been from a creativity point of view almost. You know, we kind of get to go through this cycle where every now and again it wears its ugly head that WWE are clamping down on the talent in some way. They can't work in certain places or they can't be on VOD. Everybody gets in a big panic about it. We all kind of wring our hands and talk about how awful it is. And it seems like two or three months later, it's just kind of forgotten about. Mm. And slowly but surely, you just start seeing these names coming back onto shows. But if you're if you're a booker, that's fine. You know what I mean? But if you want to kind of plan for the next 12 months, or if you're a Joe Cabray here in OTT, and you kind of only have four big shows a year, would you rather kind of be planning with guys who may or may not be there or who on the day of the show could be pulled off? Or would you rather plan your year ahead with people you know you know for sure you will have access to. You know what I mean? Like, and I remember the, um, do you remember the first, was it this, in February this year, the first OTT show in the National Basketball Arena where they had David Starr against Jordan Devlin and they had Walter against Pack. And do you remember that show? They opened the show with Devlin against Starr and then Walter Pack was the second match on the show. That's so right, the two yeah. top, a completely, completely topsy-turvy. And we thought this is a bit strange. And then we thought, okay, it's kind of good in a storyline way. But I was told after that show by somebody involved in the company that that was, that they came within, they came really, really close to Walter and Devlin being pulled from that show on the morning of the show because they had to go and report to the um, performance center for aid. And it took intervention from people very, very high up in the company on behalf of Jordan Devlin, who basically begged them not to do it. Mm. Um, to let them work that show and I mean what? how much of a disaster for OTT would that have been like that was the show that they put out that really really good video remember the, the seven minute epic video that Sean that Sean Ryan did for them mm. like to imagine to have built all that up to have put 800 people I think filled, filled, filled the venue and then to be told in the morning of the show you can't have the two guys in the top two matches and that's the kind of uncertainty you're dealing with so like you said Benno Maybe it's, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And maybe it would lead to 12 to 18 months of, you know, shows with not much star power and that kind of thing. Mm. But in the long run, maybe promoters might be grateful for it. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. The one thing is, just, just on that story, because I'd heard a story about them needing to get the last train, the last plane back. I hadn't heard a story of them almost being pulled. And it's like... Yeah, it was exactly this. They, they were told they could do the show, but they had to be on the last plane going back over. And that was, yeah, that was the way it went. Like, yeah. Well, it's like, does WWE not stop to think, like, with marketing Jordan Devlin as the Irish ace, we want to have Irish fans like Jordan and like our product. If we do this and we screw the Irish promotion at short notice, that's going to hurt Jordan's drawing power. Because this is the thing I always go back to as, like, People, I think people sometimes overlook the reason why we are all so sour on WWE UK is because it deserves it. If the product was good, mm. they would be forgiven an awful lot. Say, look, look at New Japan. New Japan, no, Osprey Sabre basically don't do anything outside Rev Pro now in terms of the UK. But we don't really care because they're having such fantastic matches that we can watch through New Japan World. Mm. If WWE UK was using these guys, getting them over, making them better wrestlers, having these great matches against a more varied range of opponents, I don't think anybody would care. Mm. But what they're doing is, is they're magpies exploiting how other promotions get these guys over. Yeah. 
And then rather than being grateful and thankful and appreciative, they just poke people with a stick for no reason, yeah. for counterproductive reasons. Yeah. It's it's like Jordan Devlin's the best example of that, isn't he? Because where does all the buzz about Jordan Devlin come from? It's not from his NXT UK weekly appearance, is it? It's it's from OTT, and it's from however he is there, and the classic matches he's had there this last year. Even to a lesser extent, you know, some of the great matches he's had in progress, like the, that Ilya Dragunov match the other week, that's where these wrestlers kind of get their buzz. And yeah, you've hit on something there, Will, because it's like WWE is always they're always the big bad in this situation aren't they that the kind of they're always the heel like you say we we forgive new japan because well we get still get us to still see osprey and zack saber in japan we forgive aew because well they're only pulling a couple of guys and the guys the puck pulling you could maybe say you know a jimmy Havy, a little bit stale on the uk scene anyway and it's only one or two guys and it's for for a good reason because it's AEW and the the start in a promotion a proper promotion whereas yeah it is less easy to forgive when it's nxt uk and you know their version of, of what they're doing these guys pales in comparison for a for a walter devlin uh in ott uh that's kind of why they continue to be the heel and that's why yeah you know you'll hear us kind of not cheerlead, but you know, hope that a promotion like RevPro, who are on the outside, who are kind of who have got their own problems with their own reliance on New Japan, they've tried to do it without WWE these last couple of years, and to mix success, you know, David Starr and uh, El Fantasmo are kind of their top two guys, but they can't always use them, and they've tried to develop other guys as well, and it hasn't always worked out. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of like WWE does become the mega heel in this situation, and. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do think that that's like a big element of the story, and I think it's kind of the combination of all these stories that kind of makes for maybe the the, the, the big thing we can end on in this discussion. Because you know, you, you alluded to it earlier, Jamesy, of uh, people like me <laughs> saying Brit Res is dead as a result <laughs> of the the combination of all these stories, the fight closing down, Jim Smallman leaving progress, even you know something as bad as Fighting Spirit magazine uh, closing down. It as far as you know affecting you know uh, the british scene as far as in ring but it does affect you know the wider scene as a whole there are lots of little news stories happening uh, over these last few weeks that i think have just kind of although we we've kind of known the last year or so the, the last two years really that the brit res hasn't quite been the same it just i think it's made a lot of people take stock and go yeah Things are different, you know. We had our show a few weeks ago where, you know, yourself, Jamesy, JP, and Martin talked about how, you know, most of the, the top-level promotions uh, are suffering a little bit right now. You know, uh, progress isn't what it was, and a lot of that's because of the, the owner's focus being elsewhere and even them having difficulty with using certain talents and having shows that are quite barren for stars. Rev Pro struggling because, as we said earlier, they're on the outside. They maybe over-rely on the New Japan connection, maybe in lieu of having, you know, many other stars to to lean on. Uh, if you look at an OTT, you know, a lot of their problems are, are venue-related, but OTT isn't quite what it was. WXW, you know, there's a lot of worry about there. WWE relationship as well, uh, even an ICW, you know, for the last few years, it's not been quite what it was. And I just think, uh, yeah, a lot of eyes have been open to the fact that, yeah, we are, I think, well and truly, I think it's fair to say, out of the Brit Res boom period. I think if anything's dead, it's for me, it's the Brit Res boom period. And, you know, when I say that, I say that safe in the knowledge that there are, you know, undergraps, uh, quote unquote, uh, shows as, uh, as our friend Andy Ogden will talk about on this show, uh, every other show that are still there and are still drawing, you know, local crowds to, to local shows and doing 
very good numbers and there's plenty of those promotions up and down the country there's still plenty of places for for wrestlers to work but i think for me that what's kind of dead is that is that top level it's that top level promotions where we had a scene where you could point to promotions like progress and their big matches and rev pro and their big matches and shows and even you know if you wanted to a what culture and point to, to some of their big matches and say we've got some of the best wrestler in the world in britain and europe and this can compare with us indies it can even compare with some of the absolute best wrestler in the world on that top level and i do think yeah maybe these these stories and you know the continued uh, nxt uk involvement in the scene and the continued pulling of talent both by nxt uk and you know the other culprits new japan and AEW, on a on a lesser scale uh of kind of meant that it's a scene now where we have we do still have some stars we have a you know a david star um pun not intended we have a some other names that, that are still there but a lot of the big names are either on ice with nxt uk or aren't doing that many shows anymore um as far as on britain goes and yeah while there might be a really good underbelly and there's lots of wrestlers with potential it takes time for them to to take these spots and we've kind of seen over the last two years that not many of those spots have been taken so for me i mean i don't know where you stand on it all jamesy but that's for me where i would say yeah the the brit res boom period if we're going to say the entire sentence is dead and that yeah brit res as far as a destination thing that you would you know be that's got buzz behind it and that you would recommend to international fans i do think that element of it is uh is pretty much dead at this point as uh, as dramatic as that sounds and if, and if dead is the wrong word then certainly you know limping along um compared to where it was two years ago yeah i, I would agree with that Benno. like it, it's far from dead because even even if you look at attendances, like attendances are softer for bigger shows mm. and progress are slower to sell out the electric ballroom. But but like by the time showtime comes, it's still pretty full. So like they're still putting mm. seven or eight hundred people in a room once or twice a month. They're still doing strong numbers in, in venues around the country. Uh, Rev Pro are still putting good house. They're not putting they're not filling your call all the time, but they're mm. putting decent houses in your call all the time. Rev Pro will run Ali Pali in September and put two or three thousand in it, probably. You know, mm. so like this, that is still healthy, and that is still um, a large fan base who want to support British wrestling and who want to go and see good wrestling. You know what I mean? Mm. And um, like as you said, there's a local scene that that that. that I'm not going to claim to be an expert on. I mean, Andy Ogden is, is, is and his bunch of mates are by far the experts on this podcast <laughs> about that scene. But to me, I see a buzzing local scene. I see lots of local promotions doing very well. Like we have praised Riptide quite a lot this year. Mm. What they're building down there in Brighton uh, feels very much to me like OTT did in its in its kind of in the years when it suddenly exploded. You know what I mean? So it is possible to still create a buzzworthy promotion even in this environment. Um like you said, the um, I think the quality is suffering at the moment. There are less great matches happening in Britain than there were maybe in the last four or five years. Like when mm. we come to our end of year lists, I'll probably have less European matches. I shouldn't say Britain, European matches on my list than I would have had in any other year previously. But it's a time of regeneration and it's a time of uncertainty. And we shouldn't forget that basically... You know, I, I would always look at at the kind of talents as coming in waves. And the first wave of big talent was 
uh, Zach Sabre Jr., Will Ospreay, Marty Skirl, Haskins, that, that kind of group of guys. They were the top guys. And the natural order of things in independent wrestling is your, your top guys get so good. What used to happen before NXT UK was those particular top guys, the very, very cream of the crop, the guys who, who get a bit of drawing power, the guys who were clearly the most talented people would eventually get signed away. They'd go to Japan or they'd go to WWE. And that was fine. And what would then happen, the next kind of generation would come up to release them. Marty, Will and Zach have kind of had a slow exit from Britress over the last two to three years. Pretty much once they all started getting in with ROH in New Japan, their time over here was becoming less and less. And what should have happened at that point was that the next should have come up. And that was Pete and that was Tyler Bate. That was Trent Seven. That was, um, you know, your Zach Gibsons, mm. that, that kind of group of guys. And what has happened is that group of guys who should have had a natural rise to the top, who should have had a kind of a torch pattern to them from, from the previous generation of guys, we never got to see that. And should have been carrying the main events in the UK over the last kind of 18 to 24 months. But mm. those guys never really got their their, their runs on top. Like, how many promotions was Tyler Bates even a champion of before he was whisked away? Zach Gibson never really held a major singles belt in the UK. Things like that, you know what I mean? And that, that, that's the situation we're in at the moment. Those guys got whisked away to work on the network. Mm. And you can't possibly expect the next generation of guys to replace them straight away. You know what I mean? So we're just in that in-between period where we just kind of have to grin and bear it a little bit. Mm. And I, I would tend to kind of give things a chance give wrestlers a chance you know like we're seeing stars emerge we're seeing michael oku suddenly kind of explode in the last two or three months um, and we need to let that happen and mm. i think whenever all all the hand-wringing happens on twitter and whenever all the panic happens i always look to the old heads on twitter and one of the guys i always kind of seek out is ben uh away days on twitter mm. um, who who has kind of seen it all and on the wrestling scene over the last oh, yeah. 10 15 years and his his take on it basically is um, Bruce Press isn't dead, but we need to give it two or three years and kind of look at it again and mm-hmm. give things a chance to kind of grow. People need, um, and yeah, and I support local wrestling as well if you can. Definitely. So, so all of a sudden, James he's became Trent Seven's favorite podcaster by implying that he's younger than Will Ospreay. I. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> um, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You can't be hoping for the green shoots of recovery when you know there's a massive gardener going around snipping up anything that grows mm. in their, their sheds. Because, like, look at someone like Aikid. You must be absolutely bricking it that any minute he could get the phone call. Mm. The one thing that's probably saving them with Oku is he's so young. WWE want to be 21. And I think that's the issue when you know WWE UK can sign anyone where there's any buzz. Like you look at someone like Shaw Samuels, Gin of the Year, basically treading water. Uh, World of Sport hadn't worked, or he'd been in it. ICW was on the downswing. A kind of really stagnant career. No, Quilden, Rev Pro took a chance, put him with Josh Bodum, a tag team. I remember talking to you about this, Ben. I'm talking to uh, GP, a tag team that a lot of people didn't like to begin with, for it was a waste of Bodum. They got that team over, and it's like, like I've been critical of Rev Pro for not pushing people, not scouting hard enough to get new talent. But you can't blame him when stuff like that keeps happening to you. Mm. 
when you keep investing and getting people over. So I think that's that's the thing that I that's one of the things I worry about is like how can we get the scene to develop new main eventers, new headlines, when we know that when they're on that cusp, they're going to be snapped up. Because yeah. I look, Aiken's not Aiken's not had a singles run in British wrestling yet. He's mm. getting to the point where he's about to have his singles run, mm. and it's, a, what, it's probably 50-50 that by by October time he'll be in NXT UK, mm. and that's the reason they pulled out of the uh, World Tag Team Festival, and that's the reason why Ref Pro's doing this angle mm. so they can get some heat behind behind Carlos Romo. In terms of the, uh, the, the, the like the business side, I mean, I remember I think I was on back in December, and I said I thought the Brit Res boom ended in two thousand and seventeen. Because you know, you know, you stopped having the elite tour frequently. You lost what culture and their investments in the scene. The British strong storyline ended, and progress didn't really know what to do. But, you know, all, all sorts of things just happening at the same. You know, Marty left, um, the uh, Rev Pro. All these things happening towards the end of the year. And I think what's happened is you kind of that that you had momentum from the boot, and you had a lot of. Opportunities created by the boom that May 2018, um, a big year for most of the year, mm. but that decline that began in August, in September, has just kept going and it keeps gathering pace. Mm. And every time you think, oh, we've, no, we've hit our floor now, something else happens. Yeah. And look, you go on as well, even during the boom years, it was fragile. You know, it's a low margin business promoting pro wrestling in Britain. Mm. It's one of the re- one of the reasons why I'm not quite as sympathetic to a lot of the uh, We The Independence movement as I probably should be as somebody on the left, because I'm just like, I don't know, man. I, and I'm not sure there's really that much money to squeeze out of your average pro wrestling promoter who is usually doing it in their spare time. Mm. But look, mention Riptide. Riptide had to go dark for, what, five months last year? Mm. Because they... they their sums weren't adding up and they had to completely revi- re- revise their business model. RevPro, Andy Crowden on his podcast said that after a few bad houses, they was, their finances were starting to look really bad and they were bailed out by being able to do Pack versus Osprey and getting an instant sellout. Mm. You know, you, ha- you know, a local promotion near me, one of the type of undergrads that people like, Shropshire Wrestling Alliance, the owner of that back uh, back in February gave up the promotion and and g- gave it to the guys who won Kamikaze uh, wrestling because he just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Like, I, I get there's lots of great wrestling and they, and they, I'm sure that always was in Britain. You know, like John Lister a few months ago found this random Mishinoko Pro trios match um, from Croydon in 1996. You know, the dark ages of British wrestling. There's always been great wrestling, mm. but the issue was is like what it looked like in like 2016, 2017. It's like we'll get into the point where there might be a business, mm. and it wasn't just a lot of committed hobbyists <laughs> and lunatics running promotions and being professional athletes in their spare time that people could actually do pro wrestling in Britain as a career, and not just that, but people could do pro wrestling in Britain. And become good, become world class. Like one of the things I find really depressing is we've gone back into that uh, almost like that cringe of people go to Japan to get good. Mm. So it used to be, you know, you think about that 2016, 2017, you had people coming to Britain 
from Australia, from uh, from Canada, to to become yeah. better wrestlers, New Zealand, to become better wrestlers. Now what's happening? Millie McKenzie, Charlie Evans, Chris Ridgway, they're going to Japan to become better. And when they come back, you can tell. You can tell they've gone better. So yeah, that, yeah, that's the thing. It's like that dream of we could take our place alongside America, Mexico, Japan as a real scene, which we should be. We know we have a, the population, the wealth, the the history of a rabid wrestling fan base. You no know, Britain supported by you no know, Germany, Ireland, other wrestling hotbeds in Western Europe. We should have been able to have like a real scene, mm. and that's gone i mean it's not gonna happen yeah and it's kind of in some ways inevitable i mean the problem is this brit res boom period rose from you know a scene where you know look at i mean for for anything for any criticism you know we might level on this podcast of maybe brit res now compared to two years ago it's a damn sight you know in better shape than it was in 2007 2008 2009 but it was kind of inevitable the scene that kind of was starting to develop very very talented in-ring wrestlers and is it's kind of a something i kind of watched as a, as a live fan of shows is kind of you know there was a small group of of elite wrestlers you know your likes of uh you know el Aguero was kind of the center of things obviously there was jody and johnny years ago but you know your likes of of a joey hayes and all these great in-ring workers zach saber jr marty scales start to develop and as they work each other they all get better but they all rose out of a scene that was a part-time scene that people were still getting paid you know 10 to 20 to if you were lucky 50 pound for a job and the problem is when that steam gets strong as it did it's going to be ripe for for talent to get get plucked and it's gonna, you know, the the big eye, the eyes of the world. You whether it's WWE, whether it's New Japan, they're gonna have their eyes on on kind of this hot talent. And if they're gonna offer them actual contracts for actual money, as critical as we might be of those, you know, low money WWE UK contracts, then no one on this podcast is ever gonna blame the wrestlers for taking it. And you know, the other thing is that any kind of hot scene that you might you might develop whether it's in music or whether it's in any industry really there's always going to be an end point you know it's not going to be the hot cool thing forever uh and i think with brit res i think we would have got to that point regardless but i do think you know that that all of those elements that you mentioned earlier you mentioned jamesy and the and you know what i just mentioned there about you know talent being plucked and about the the kind of the change in landscape that we've we've had over this last year it's just accelerated that um and that kind of has meant that we're on you know a bit of a downswing from maybe the, the big boom period that we had you know the, the last couple of years at least as far as those top level level indies go but you know i think the thing to the, the war to kind of keep an eye out out for is you know whether you know the dominoes do fall and if you know it might only be not drastic drops in attendance and in you know attention paid to your likes of a rev pro and progress but you know it's small margins as you just mentioned there will and the lower level indies i hope none of them you know start hitting the wall i hope none of them start struggling if you know interest in general in british wrestling as a product does go down but again even if it does go down we are still in a stronger position than we were a decade ago it's just as you kind of uh well summed up there will it's just a little bit of a, a sadness maybe of of what could have been um and what looks so promising only you know two to, to three years ago yeah i want to be clear as well i don't necessarily blame wwe uk it's a bit like world of sport wwe uk did a lot of stuff to dick over world of sport or say rev pro and free sports but if wwe did nothing 
those things would have fallen apart under the weight of their own contradictions. And what we needed was some rich millionaire or some t- cool TV exec to take a chance. Mm. And we just never got the break. And, you know, look, British Wrestling was hot in 2016 before WWE uh, started getting involved in the promotions. Someone could have taken a break and it just never happened. So it's sad, but it goes on. There's there's live wrestling. Live wrestling's good. Make sure to get out and support your local promotion. Um, and hopefully we'll play again. Definitely. The dream will never die. <laughs> Good words to end that on our discussion there, but yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll see how the, the news develops over over the next uh, months in and maybe even years um, if we're all lucky enough uh, to live through it. But moving on uh, from the, that that kind of heavy heavy news uh, kind of uh, period that we've had this this last week, we've also been watching some wrestling. We all caught up with a uh, OTT's uh, last contender sh- uh, last live in Belfast show, so it is uh, a show that you know maybe not hugely notable from an in-ring point of view but that was uh, kind of highlighted by a really strong main event as far as I was concerned I'm really enjoying it was a Jordan Devlin versus LJ Cleary match and I'm really enjoying Jordan Devlin kind of taking on these these challenges from maybe uh, lower on the card and and delivering in spades uh, not particularly a, a match that Maybe more of a back-and-forth match than, than I would have expected, but a really strong one. LJ Cleary is someone that I'm guessing, you know, yourself, James, you see a, a lot of, both live and on tape. Uh, a wrestler that's clearly got a lot of potential, and for me, one of my favourite performances of, of him. Naturally, he's in there with Jordan Devlin, but I thought he looked really good as the underdog. Jordan Devlin, although he gave a lot to, to LJ Cleary, you know, d- didn't lose much. Uh, in it, won particularly definitively again here um, against LJ Cleary, but I thought it was a, a really, really strong match that kind of uh, highlighted their, uh, another you know strong live in Belfast card from, from OTT. Yeah, and LJ is a guy that I kind of had some concerns about over the last kind of 12 months of his development. Um, he's He's nearly a victim of how much of an all-rounder he is mm. like he's he's really technically solid and like he's he's one of these guys who, who's been down in the training school at fight factory since he was very very young like you're talking i think they, you'd hear people saying he was like a 12 year old running around the place kind of learning how to put holes on and that kind of thing by the time he was 16 he was running training classes himself you know um so really really well well trained really technically accomplished but his big strength i suppose is he has a really good charisma about him um he's very bombastic he's a good heel he's a good face and because he was so charismatic he kind of got a little singles push um around February last year and they very quickly put the gender neutral title on him when martina went off to japan mm. and i almost feel like they put him in too many roles where he was expected to be the funny guy. So like the, at, at the time, that title was very much a comedy belt. So he was kind of put in random four ways. He was put in comedic matches and that kind of thing. And I thought that his development was kind of hindered a little bit by that. Um, what I would have liked for him more was to just see him doing straight up singles matches. Like this is the first serious match I can remember him having an OTT in it a very, very long long time I mean and thankfully he, he did hold up his end of it to a certain extent I did feel he was maybe a little bit overawed by the occasion he wasn't quite himself in terms of the big personality and that kind of thing I think there were times when he could have imposed himself a little bit more in the match mm. um, but he was in there with 
a guy who's just on top of his game at the moment. Um, like to me, Jordan Devlin, I would have said it on the Grapple um, podcast with yourselves there last week. Um, to me, he's a top five guy in the world at the moment. He's just, he's just imperious. The, the air of authority he carries when he's in the ring. Um, I do think it was probably slightly lower than the level of the Callum Black match from the week before in Contenders. I thought that was, I thought Callum maybe kind of carried a bit better in that match. Mm. Um, I felt the finish was maybe a little, was it a little bit similar maybe, Benno? The same kind of thing again, the kind of the, yeah. the young upstart kind of is, is on the cheek. Yeah, yeah and it's a bit kind of cheeky else. towards him. And then Jordan did the same thing and basically stomped him into submission. Um, but what, again, uh, we talked about it on Grapple. I like this edge that they're giving Jordan. I like mm. this kind of, he's not the happy-go-lucky blue-eyed baby-faced champion anymore. He's, 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 more, he's more super serious. He's got this aggression about him. Um, they're going somewhere. I feel like they're going somewhere with it. With it. And I feel like, I, I, I don't know, is it maybe that they're going to bring up another baby face to face something like that maybe star baby face and put the belt on him but I'm intrigued uh, and I, they've earned my terms of the way they tell stories to kind of you know the way you spot things and maybe it's just your mind kind of you're overthinking things mm. when you see little things in OTT now you, you kind of trust that they're actually going to follow through on them so really intrigued to see where Jordan goes in particular in the future Definitely. Yeah, I would say, probably say I about the same level as the Callum Black match. I think maybe, but not a huge amount in it. I think you're probably right. I think Callum Black match was maybe ever so slightly stronger. But, Will, did you see both of these matches? Uh, what did you make of uh, of this? We're out with for LJ, LJ Cleary and for the kind of this new, maybe tween is a strong word, but definitely, as James said, harder edge version of uh, Jordan Devlin that we seem to be getting in OTT at the moment. Yes, sir. I've only seen a Cleary match, but yes, I me mean, my feeling was this felt like the first season of a heel turn, and obviously the finish to the Walter Star match plays into that as well, and and like to get the fans ready for another Irishman to beat him, and like look, they've got the perfect candidate in Scotty Davis, someone who's getting a lot of experience in England, um, you know, has lots of charisma, great wrestler can have a great match with Jordan Devlin. I mean, I'm, I saw him wrestle live at Bike Club Pro last year, and it was, it was great then. I have no idea how good it could be um, in a big Irish venue with Scotty Davis being uh, you know, 18 months more experience with Jordan being in this form. Mm. Um, so, yes, I mean, like I hope that's where to go. Like To me, this felt like a really good champion is getting progressively more annoyed. And then he just kind of beats the crap out of the challenger. The one thing I would say is they kind of did that storyline a lot on this show because that was storyline the pack match. It was kind of the storyline um, of the Mustache Mountain match. And there was one other that also had a similar storyline. There was a lot of the veteran takes a while to warm up. Maybe he's taking a bit lightly, mm. but then wins in the end. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I, I, I like this storyline though. I hope I hope it leads to Davis beating him and they, and they kind of crown their new Irish hero. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. It's a story that that works, so I can't blame them too much for going going to the well with it. Uh, it kind of fits Pax character. It kind of fits maybe Adam Maxted's current standing uh, at OTT. I mean, just while we're on it, uh, Jamesy, what did you make of that match? And did you have uh, any other highlights on the on on this OTT show? Yeah, I enjoyed the pack match. Um, Max Ted is a funny one. He, he kind of, he shows up in OTT, has a really good match, 
and then he disappears for a few months. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, is it just that he has, I know he does a lot of camp shows and that kind of thing. And I don't know, is he just, he has, he kind of committed to doing long stretches with them or whatever. But like, I have to give Max Ted credit, like as a guy who kind of, was seen as a reality TV star, like kind of when he started off and people kind of sneered at him. He's a guy who has gotten very, very good. Like he he more than held his own here against Pac. Um, you know, he he I think people maybe thought of him as a a body guy who was doing his best to get into WWE, like, but he has completely embraced the indie style. Um, you know, as I said, he hung very, very well with Pac. Um, as Will said, the kind of it, it felt it feels like Pac now has a template from those Karen Noir and Oku matches where he's he's the grizzled veteran and the young guy kind of comes up against him and won't give up and that kind of thing. And it's it's good use of Pac. We said it before. It's a good way to kind of um, make the most of his heel character. Mm. And yeah, really good match that kind of elevated both guys. Um, I, I would say to people, definitely watch the more than hype against Mustache Mountain match. Um very, very good tag match. Um, again, as you said, Will, probably the young upstarts coming up against Mustache Mountain. Um, a little bit of a, again, I, I, I feel like the the more than hype guys on this show were out of their comfort. Like Dublin is very much their comfort zone. And in Dublin, they're really over. Like the, 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 the Dublin crowd absolutely adores them, cheers them no matter what. Belfast is a bit of a funny place in terms of they they tend to cheer for people that you wouldn't expect. They tend to cheer for stars rather than faces or heels in a lot of ways. It's getting off last year in his match. Um, were more popular and more than high for sure here. Or got a smattering of boos. And I felt like that kind of, they got booed kind of before the match. And I thought it kind of knocked them off their stride a little bit. And I thought maybe a little bit more tentative in this match than they normally are when they're full of energy that completely just takes over the ring in their matches you know mm. um, to me overall it was a, it was a typical OTT Belfast show very much a step down from the big Dublin shows but lots of good solid wrestling on there uh, triple threat as well Haskins um, Terry Thatch and Callum Black another one that I'd recommend lots of kind of good solid three to three and a half star match show that you'd need to go out of your way to watch no major angles kind of coming out of it for the future um, but if you're a fan of OTT and a fan of kind of keeping an eye on this young generation of Irish wrestlers as they develop I'd say mm-hmm. I just on that Max said why he's not in WWE is just completely beyond like, it's yeah. so yeah. Dead for them yes. and you no know, his promo work and character work was one of the highlights of uh, World of Sports as well and uh, you know, he, he, I mean, I remember seeing him live at uh, WrestleMediaCon um, at the show. But to me, he definitely, like, this felt like he'd improved a bit more from that as well. Obviously, he's, a, he's, a, he's in there with Pac, but there's definitely something there. And I'm surprised WWE hasn't tr- haven't tried to capitalise on it. Mm. Yeah, he's he's got to be on their radar. I mean, in the in the Johnny Ace era of uh, a few years ago, he'd be <laughs> one of the first snapped up, wouldn't he, from our scene? Uh, kind of shows you the difference in uh, in maybe what they're scouting for. Uh, maybe it's one of those things where you know we will criticise WWE a lot for you know holding wrestlers hostage. You know, Tyler Bate, uh, Martin put out on Twitter has only had one singles match uh, as far as this year goes in the UK. 
Um, obviously, Tyler Bates are already at a certain level, but there's definitely something to be said for for letting wrestlers go out there and work. And you know, he is definitely getting better um, based on this showing. So hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe ho- I mean, hopefully for us, you know, he's someone who, who who continues to get better and we get to see more of. But from the WWE point of view, yeah, maybe it's just a, a wait and see attitude because he does seem like somebody who, based on you know his charisma and his look and everything you just said there, well, he'll be he'll be on somebody's radar for for absolute sure. Do you know um, what I thought? Was it was it me? Did Mustache Mountain look a little bit rusty? There's just a few unusually things. Usually they're so tight, so in sync. Mm-hmm. There's just a few bits where they just seemed a little bit out of place. Mm-hmm. It's almost weird. I don't know. Maybe I was imagining. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like seeing them come out to Love is Blindness and are trying to recapture that magic of, again, you know, a year ago, two years ago. It does seem a little bit out of place at this point, doesn't it? Um, maybe it's the fact that they're not so much working that indie style anymore and they're so kind of embedded on NXT UK system. Maybe it's just lack of reps, the fact that, you know, you've always said that, haven't you, Will? You know, Tyler Bates is, you know, people kind of forget about him, but he's, you know, he's one of our, our great hopes and he's still, you know, one of the best young wrestlers in the world. He's just also one of the most underutilized wrestlers in the world. So, yeah, maybe there's there's something to that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Sorry, go, go on, Jamesy. I was just going to say, to, to me, I, I always, whenever we kind of have one of these podcasts where we lament the NXT UK thing and when we talk about how awful it was, I always go back to Tyler. To, to me, he's nearly the greatest tragedy, purely as a fan, as somebody who, who likes to watch wrestling, who thinks of all the matches that we never got. Like, like you know, uh, we, we got one Zack Sabre Jr. against Tyler Bay match progress in Manchester last year and it was exceptional stuff you know what I mean we never got a Tyler Bate run as the champion of a major company we never got imagine if the scene was open and we got to face again some of those some of those new Japan wrestlers I mean it, it's heat he, he's nearly the greatest tragedy of the whole thing there's just so much potential there and so much like and he's amazing and I mean even on this show he was nearly holders above nearly everyone else on the show you know Better would he be again if he was if he was exposed to different cultures of wrestling, different types of wrestling? You know, like he is incredible now. But mm. like we could be looking at an all timer with Tyler Bate if he'd had the chance to be on the Indies. I think. Definitely. I mean, to me, one of the biggest, one of the big mistakes made last year was not doing a switch at Wembley. Yeah. Um, and and like it's not just WWE UK because progress. He invested in OTT and WXW. Like, it just doesn't feel like he cares. And I think if you'd have put Tyler as a champion, get a new thing, and it's a, ch- it's a chance for Tyler to establish himself as a singles wrestler with a character distinct from Trent. Uh, uh, Trent. Trent's had a really good year since Wembley in terms of in-ring, in terms of being active, in terms of doing a lot of singles. Like, this is the most active Seven's been in terms of singles matches. Pretty much since I did the really, you know, underground days of pro. And if Tyler had that for pro, it would have helped progress. And it would have helped WWE in terms of having Tyler ready to be that big British single star. Because, I mean, hopefully it works. But, you know, I've seen some of the angles we've been doing on WWE UK, he's still not got his character down. No, no, exactly. And I think that is, is like, who is... So we've been watching Tyler Bate now for... What exactly is his character? Like, do you remember the run up to that Wembley match, Walter, and there were just those interviews, 
And the best he could kind of come out with was, I'm a big, strong boy. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that's his character. His character yeah. is, a, he, he's mini, he's mini Trent Seven, and he, he claims to be, I'm a big, strong boy. There's no depth to his character. And I mean, that's one of the things that it definitely held him back in not being out there, not being, not just, just being in front of crowds and coming up with a kind of a persona for himself, you know, and his promo ability, I would say, is very, very weak. You know, if you're thinking of him as a top guy, he's not a particularly big promo. I mean, if he was given the chance, if he was the top guy in a big company, he'd be given them the phone in every show, having to make, having to cut promos. And the only way to improve it is just to do it, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's and it. the thing is, like, it's like Pete Dunn, sorry, Pete Dunn is not a great promo. He's not, but he has yeah. a great character. Disguises that. And he knows how to cut an effective Pete Dunn promo. Because Tyler doesn't know who he is, Tyler must have counted tag team. He can't do that. And that's why that progress build fell apart. Because, you know, they were putting a camera on him. They were asking him to cut promos. But he did not know. He did not know who was speaking. Mm. Yeah, that's it. And he's only a kid. You know. Yeah, that's it. and he can get better. At that age, who does know who they are? You know. No, that's yeah. it. Yeah, he's gonna. He should grow into his personality at some point. But is he gonna do it? You know, based on you know the odd NXT UK booking he gets and these odd weird house shows that he does. That's the big problem, isn't it? Like that's we're, we're complaining on, on the one hand that we want to see more of him on the indies. What, like you both said, we want to see him develop too. And to be honest, though, we should be careful. We should be careful because last last show, me and Martin were talking about Pete Dunne and how we missed seeing him on. Uh, on on NXT you just in general or seeing him on the British Indies and we were kind of saying well at least put him on NXT proper and give him a program and literally the next day NXT TV aired and he's been plonked in a three way on Takeover uh, coming up with Velveteen Dream and a uh, uh, Roderick Strong so maybe um, the British wrestling experience can have another uh, knock on effect and maybe maybe we'll find out tomorrow <laughs> Tyler Bates has has got to go to NXT proper he's got to turn up on Raw and he's gonna get the chance to to work a little bit more and get better because yeah. There's only, I think, with, with wrestlers and with with any kind of sport, you can be the guy with the high potential for only only so long, can't you? Before you've got to got to realise it, and you've got to put people in the place to to realise that potential as well. So, uh, fingers crossed. If we're not going to see him uh, getting more reps on the indies, that at least maybe something like that will uh, will happen for him soon. Um, but also, I mean, the, the other thing we were going to talk about, kind of linked into all that, um, and linked into what we were talking at the start of the show. You know, we t- we started the show talking about you know potential progress. ICW ended up on the network, and one thing that kind of developed in the the time since our last show, uh, Jamesy and we've talked about it a little bit on on the Grapple Spotlight podcast. Is the is the fact is, is WXW. Um, Long rumored uh, they're gonna end up on WWE Network. They made the uh, the interesting decision ahead uh, of show cut to the top to to decide that they're not gonna use uh, entrance themes anymore. They used to use uh, uh, famous songs, uh, songs they didn't have the rights to that they would then uh, edit off of the VOD and the kind of WXW style. So you never really got the the crowd effect on the entrances for WXW, and you you kind of almost had to go there live to where uh, you know Bobby Guns come out to Robot Rock or you know any of number of the other you know Ilya Dragunov come out to uh, the theme from uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert it just 
it was part of kind of what WXW was, and we all kind of accepted it for what it was. Uh, but yeah, WXW coming out, they've announced that they're gonna, and they have started uh, putting together uh, songs that they now own the rights for for their talent. Um, obviously, we, that was a uh, debut this uh, this past weekend. But uh, Jamesy, uh, how was that received? And uh, in general, uh, you're gonna give us a bit of a roundup on WXW. So uh, what's going on in uh, in Germany at the moment with, with WXW as we we head very very quickly into a uh, the big tag league weekend there in a, a couple of months. Yeah, well, as you said, Benno, the, the, I suppose the, the big news was was that announcement about the team tunes, and um, there actually happened to be quite a few people I know at at the um, shortcut to the top uh, show at the weekend, and they they told me that the I, I the VOD only dropped last night, and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, mm. but they said it was it was very flat, and it was very um, when the music hit. It was just flat. Now, they did say that the matches themselves didn't suffer because of it and the crowd got back up again after it and that kind of thing. Interesting. Maybe it's a lack of familiarity with the music and that kind of thing. I don't know. They did put a few, I think they kind of gathered up their best effort in terms of the team and put them on Twitter during the week. And they, there has been some effort made, I would say, to tailor music to the particular wrestling. Like, uh, I think you guys would have seen Julian Pace the uh, live before uh, of his act is is the whole the clip the move cars and that kind of thing and it was something that really got him over with the crowd and he now has a more generic team tune but they've made an effort to kind of um, put at the start of the music and that kind of thing so at least people know who it is uh, the JFK team tune was put up there and it's catchy and you can see how it suits them as an act as well so some. Uh, to my mind I would have said it on Grapple it's it's just a further erosion of the soul of the promotion to me you know what I mean and I always found arrangement that they had to be a, a decent size where at least it made going to the show special to hear those team tunes you, you had to go to see NXT, WXW live to even hear those 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 particular tunes you know and Bobby Guns's rise was inextricably linked to his team tune Um I'd be interested to see what his music is like now, you know what I mean? Mm. Because that chanting at the moment is nearly all the guy has, you know what I mean? Um, in terms of the show itself, some very interesting developments um, in terms of the tag titles. They, they, they took the tag belts off Aussie Open and put them on Walter and Ilya, which, again, you, you could look at it two ways. It, it, you know, it, are they doing what Progress were doing in terms of Progress's titles are now on NXT UK, guys? And now WXW have their tag belts on NXT UK, guys. Is that something that hints at them moving to the network or something like that? Mm. The other side of it, of course, and not something we've discussed really, of course, is the fact that it seems like Aussie Open might be New Japan bound. Like in, in very quick succession, they've dropped the Rev Pro belts, the Progress belts, the WXW belts. Um, it seems like they're the natural team to win that tournament that Rev Pro are running and get to challenge for the IWGP heavyweight tag titles at the Copper Box. Maybe they're even going to win them. I don't know. It's just, you know, so it's it's just, again, you're always looking at these things and wondering what's the political, what's, what's going on in the background. You're always guessing what's going on. So interesting from that point of view. Um, the great Timothy Thatcher won the Rumble, to my delight, and announced that he was going to have his title shot um, at Tag League on the Saturday night, which will be a particular treat for myself. If anyone who knows me knows I'm a big fan of him. <laughs> and he's also entering Tag League with Vite Muller as his partner. Um, and yeah, so significant developments, I think. Um, I think it's fair to say 
they're a promotion that has lost a lot of buzz in the last six to twelve months. Um, but they're coming into it, coming into a time of year now where things are happening. And I mean, tag league is coming in, coming. We'll all be there, um, and hopefully, it'll be another good weekend. You know. And the other thing with WXW is that they're in Toronto this week for the kind of it, it's they're nearly making SummerSlam a mini WrestleMania weekend with lots of satellite independent promotions kind of taking advantage of the fact that there'll be a big crowd in town. So Progress are there, WXW are there, and WXW have two shows. Um, on the 8th, they're running an ambition tournament with some really interesting matches. Um, it includes Mike Bailey against Walter, which will be a great match. Uh, Bobby Guns against Daniel Maccabee, another wrestler I'm very, very fond of. So I, I think that could be great for Daniel to kind of get that kind of a high-profile high match against the WXW champion. Um and then on the ninth, they have their own um, WXW show, and it's a really strong card for this. Like, there's three singles matches that kind of jump off the page to me. Uh, they're doing Daisuke Sekimoto against Walter, which is always a good pairing. You can't really go wrong with those two. They're doing a rematch of one of my favorite matches of the year from Ambition uh, on Carrot Weekend with Timothy Thatcher against Yuki Ishikawa. And then the title match is between Bobby Guns and Mike Bailey and... I think both of you guys were there at Carrot last year for that match between Guns and Bailey with that one of the most memorable things I've ever seen in a wrestling ring, that gruesome handwork where Bailey kind of had oh, his hands yeah. completely mangled by Guns. Like one of the most amazing things I've seen and one of my favorite matches of last year. So, I mean, if anybody is going to that show in Toronto, like if, if that match is even half as good as the match we got at Carrot, you're really in for a treat, you know. So um, things happening, you know, it, it feels like WXW are following in progress's footsteps in a lot of way they're kind of using this wwe partnership to expand they're, they're running in territories that they they, they they wouldn't have run before you know they're going to toronto and that kind of thing mm. and a promotion i'll be watching closely in the next while because a promotion that was very much close to my heart for a long long time and i really hope and pray that they don't go the way of progress and become more and more kind of irrelevant and more and more you know lacking in buzz as time goes on but mm. it remains to be seen Definitely. I mean, that's the lesson you want to learn, isn't it, Will? You want to learn from from a progress. And my my initial reaction, you know, to to the music news was just, here we go. We're going the same route as, route as progress. Ilya's going to get those terrible drums, and he did get those terrible mm. drums that he uses in NXT UK, which does uh, add further fuel to the uh, the potential fire of them. Very, very likely ended up on the WWE Network. But yeah, you know, progress have had really bad luck with with putting not even bad luck just bad choices in in putting their own spin on uh, on entrance music and it really did suck a lot of the atmosphere out of the promotion and i was uh, quite scared that wxw was going to go the same way it sounds like some, some of the live reports that maybe you know some of the music fit as you said there jamesy and some didn't i don't know will have you had the chance to listen to them is it all doom and gloom with uh with that new story as much as much as uh maybe my my initial reaction to it was well, um, like James was saying, like I did listen to some of them. And actually, yeah, the JFK one was good. I thought the Julian Pace one was quite good. I think they also released Avalanches, which I quite liked as well. So the the, the ones they put up weren't bad. Mm. Um, although Ian Hamilton, a back body drop, did point out that Absolute Andes is, <laughs> is very similar to Anti-Fun Police's uh, progress theme, which uh, kind of gives me less... Uh, confidence when I listen to uh, when I watch the uh, show. Um, to me, like look, we know they can't tell the full truth because WWE doesn't like people telling the full truth. Mm. But it's a bit of a silly argument that they put they put out. 
the reality is is what they were doing is actually standard practice in, in combat sports for those who don't know you if you're showing live tv you're allowed to capture the live music you're playing because your venue will have a live music license mm. when you come to show repeats and um, particularly repeats on vod or on dvds that's when you know, you have to actually pay the music company a, a particular right that you pay as the content producer. Mm-hmm. And what happens if things like UFC, boxing, they cut it. Now, I used to buy UFC DVDs. You did not get the entrances on a UFC DVD. And that's a, you know, now it's a four billion pound company, but they were cutting all their entrances. You look at New Japan with the issues they're facing with Will Ospreay at the moment or with uh, Maccabe. They just put something else over. You know, this is you no. Know, it makes more sense to give the fans in attendance a great experience with great music that gets people over, that gets the chanting, that makes people look like superstars. And if you have to mute, if you have to edit for the VOD, fine. Reality is, is the live fans are paying more than the VOD uh, subscribers are, and I'd imagine for the really big shows such as the Carrot, there's probably more people in Turban Haller watching live than actually subscribe to WXW now. If you think there's 1,500 people in Turban Haller, I'd be very surprised if WXW has 1,500 subscribers. But, mm. of course, WWE Flip It, WWE is all about the TV experience. It's not about the live crowd experience. And as they're going onto the network, they have to conform with WWE's production values. So it's sad. One thing in Aussie Open, just to add to James's uh, list, at the Fight Club promo show two weeks ago, they also announced that the Schadenfreude storyline is being blown off at the end of September. So if you think if they are becoming the RWGP uh, tag champions, they're probably disappearing in late October through until Wrestle Kingdom for the World Tag League. Brooks is talking about doing disappearing for DDT's big tournament at, at a similar time. It looks pretty clear uh, what's going on. And it'd be great news for them if, if it's happening. They, they well deserve it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely. One, what I, one more thing about those Toronto shows, because it would not be me appearing on the British Wrestling Experience if I wasn't going to predict that Walter may lose his progress title. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, something weird is going on with Walter Starr and Ali Pally. Like, Walter is not going to be there on the Sunday uh, when they come back to uh, the UK. He's not been announced for the Paris show, even though he's doing Fight Club Pro the Friday before. The, when Starr did his announcement, he did not mention Walter by name. He just said he was going to face the champion. Um, and they seem to be trying to heat up Robinson Starr as a rivalry. And are going to a lot of lengths to heat up Robinson and Walter as a big title match. Mm. So I know it makes no sense. I know it would be like death at the, at, at the box office as they try and do Star Robinson with less than a month, uh, with barely a month's build. But part of me just thinks, I think weird is going on here. No. Very possible. Very possible. Uh, it's kind of just we're in a weird situation where like, so many moving parts and yeah, I think. WXW is such a such an interesting beast right now. Where absolutely no idea, you know what could what could abs- what could even happen. I'm still hyped for tag league though. Uh, I'm sure you two guys are as well. It does feel like we're at the tail end of the 
of the WXW that we've all known uh, these last couple of years, and we're, we're kind of moving into a, a very, very different era, but you know, still quietly excited for Tag League, still excited for, for Carrot next year, uh, those those big weekenders, it's just, as you've said a few times on the show, James, it, what, what comes in between those weekends, and it's what WXW looks like uh, come next year, but yeah, uh, interesting seeing that shortcut to the top show, and uh, I guess we'll see. As long as, he, as long as Timothy Thatcher kills Bobby Gunn so much that uh, James's fellow Irishman stopped chanting, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they haven't got the song anymore, so yeah, as James said, it's going to be tough. It's not just the Irish either. <laughs> <laughs> it's mainly the Irish. Come on, James. <laughs> uh, moving on anyway. <laughs> our, our next thing, kind of moving on from Germany to uh, Japan, uh, as we've uh, been doing these last few weeks. Uh, just going to check in with a quick update on Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay's uh, progress in the G1 in, in New Japan. Uh, Jamesy, uh, we talked at length about the uh, the G1 on my show last week, and yeah, what a what a couple of weeks for for both of the guys, really. I mean, I really really enjoyed Zack Sabre's last few matches. His match with Kota Ibushi uh, was absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed his match with Lance Archer as well. Osprey had a couple of uh, strong matches with Evil and with Kenta even to today. But I, th- I think the big story really is the match they have with each other. I mean, as far as matches this G one go, um. I gave it four and a half stars. I was tempted to give it more, so you know maybe something will unsafe it. But for me, the match of the tournament so far was Zack Sabre Jr. versus Will Ospreay. Two Brits in Japan absolutely killing it uh, in a match that is just typical of kind of their stylings and you know the finish came with Zack Sabre kind of pretzeling up Will Ospreay and trapping him and me kind of jumping up and down on my couch and in my living room for the for the big finish and just yeah the chemistry these two have got is absolutely incredible and yeah for me probably one of the uh the match of the tournament so far and uh, a match that I'd, I'd question um I'd expect maybe the final or depending on what we get for the semis may well uh may well eclipse it but yeah at the moment it's the front runner for me and uh Jamesy were you as uh, quite as high on it as uh, as I was ah uh, yeah like I mean I would definitely say top five of the tournament at least um I think I went 4.25 on it like but um again like you said I could easily go higher like um and I, I feel like it, it, I feel like online it is it, it passed people by without mm. being commented on as as the big thing that it was. Like I mean, when I was watching this match, I felt a real kind of sense of history about it and importance. Mm. Two guys that we've been watching pretty much since they started. Like you know, I mean, we you know we we've seen their careers pretty much from day one. You know what I mean? And two 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 british wrestlers who 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 also followed their own path you know we talk about guys taking nxt uk contracts and things like that but two two very strong individuals who who had a clear view of what they wanted from their career who had a clear desire to go to a promotion where they could express themselves properly as wrestlers and have the best possible matches that they could have you know what i mean mm. and I was kind of I I just felt a real strong sense of history about the match and I feel just a, 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 something something that should have been celebrated more I think by, by by British fans as well you know what I mean and like the match never lets you down I mean those two are an incredible combination anytime they wrestle it's 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 amazing you know what I mean I, I, it was the most on point I've seen Zach in a particular match in a long long time like I thought I thought if anything he almost eclipsed Will in the match I think Will kind of put in 
put it like Will was Will. He's always good, but I think he, mm. he, he almost toned us down a little bit and put in a very mature and subdued performance, almost giving Zach the chance to shine. You know what I mean? Mm. Because Zach hasn't had the greatest tournament in terms of results. Like, I'm not to his performances. I think he's been amazing throughout. But in terms of the character Zach Sabre Jr., he's lost a lot of matches. And I feel like Osprey gave him a huge amount in this much in this match and gave him the chance to shine. And he felt like a big deal getting the win in this match. And like the finish to that match was something else. The way he 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 kind of wriggled out of the Stormbreaker and mm. just in one fluid movement, it was almost like a gazelle like leapt into the <laughs> the stretch. Like it was incredible the way they managed to pull it off. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah to me, to me, a great match, a great and a great occasion. And I just I felt I felt a bit sad that it wasn't celebrated more by people and kind of um given the give give the guys credit for getting there like two 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 and two very smaller guys who mm-hmm. could easily have gone to Japan and been pigeonholed as junior heavyweights and here they are in the premier heavyweights tournaments in wrestling um acquitting themselves amazingly and you know to my mind you know looking at my list of wrestler I have Will at number 1 and number 3 so far in the tournament Will at number 1 and Zach is number 3 so two guys who are who are as good as anyone in the tournament you know what I mean and um I suppose the other thing to speculate on now is what the hell are they going to do with Copperbox because um all the matches we thought that could be set up didn't happen <laughs> no um so I don't know have you any thoughts on that Will where they might be going with that or so yeah so I've, I, ne- I never thought I'd have to either of them challenge Okada because you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to lose. And I'd thought, as they're both champions, they'd want them both to have their own defences. So I thought Nailed On was Osprey uh, El Fantasmo for Copper Box. Uh, so so uh, Osprey could get his win back from Best of Super Juniors. But the interesting thing on today's show was Kevin Kelly made it clear that Kento's a junior heavyweight, mm. which they haven't, I don't think they've said before on the no, commentary. definitely haven't. No, no. And when Osprey talked about how great it was to face Kenta on Twitter, Kenta then responded and said, this isn't over. So that if they were to do, I mean, this is this is the type of thing, they, they must surely want to save that for Japan. But if they were to do Osprey, Kenta, the copper box, that would be something special. Um, in terms of Sabre, Sabre's the one you just don't know. Because to me, I think Sabre's had a weird G1 because he had a lot of rematches early doors. So there's a lot of matches you would see. The matches were great, you know, Sonada, Tanahashi. You know, these are all you know, these are matches you, that were enjoyable to watch. But you'd seen them before, and it's only been um, as he's gotten into some of the newer people to face, they've been able to say, okay, okay. Here are the new matches. Here's Sabre's doing something different. Here's him doing something different in New Japan. So obviously, he's faced Osprey a lot. And I think his G1, in terms of not so much quality, but in terms of the interest I have in his matches, the sense of freshness his matches have, has really picked up um, after he hit 3 0 uh, down. Like the Arch match was really fun. The uh, Farley match was a, a, a nice chance for him to show his more mischievous side. And I and I thought the match uh, against Ibushi was really good as well. So I think Saber is definitely starting to uh, pick up the pace. Yeah, definitely. I think you've got to you've got to say at this point. You know, you you were saying before about how important the match was, Jamesy, and how important this run has been for both of these wrestlers, the two best British wrestlers of all time. 
I think Osprey's number one, and I think Zack Sabre's number two. I don't know. I don't even know if that's controversial anymore. Um, at least as far as output goes, as far as matches go. Uh, but yeah, I, I would kind of agree with what you said before, James, as well. That, that this felt like it should be more celebrated as a big deal. Maybe you can go to the rematch and make that even a bigger deal. You know, imagine if they headline copper box but then again is it big enough to headline copper box maybe you can go back to it though and have some you know a reason for them to go back to the match you know osprey as he does standard in his career losing to zack saber jr again um as he often will with with marty scale and his various other uh rivalries he's kind of got where he can't get that big win maybe you could you could do that um and go back to it but yeah, I, I just echo everything you both said. The two, for me, the two best British wrestlers of all time. And I, I don't know, I've either got a, a strong counterpoint to that. I think this, this G1 for me kind of cements Osprey's status as that. And uh, like you said, Jamesy, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is not far behind. So to me... No, uh, oh, sorry, you go, Jamesy. I, I was just going to say, I could definitely the top two. I, I'm Zack still ahead of Will, just based on the fact that Zack has had a longer career and had more matches and that kind of thing. But... One, one and two, undeniably, and maybe I'm just slightly more biased towards that style. Would always be a style I gravitate towards more as a fan. You know what I mean? But you wouldn't hear me having major arguments with somebody if it was the other way around either. You know what I mean? It's it, it's them above everyone else, really. Mm. Oh, what you so, to me, though, I just think people have to look at the history because it's when you say because you, when you say Saber and Osprey are one, two, two, one. People say, oh, it's recency bias, you don't know your history, blah, blah, blah. It's like the British scene was never really a kind of work rate in terms of having entertaining matches scene. Mm. Um, even when it was more technical, it was it was kind of it was really into kind of protecting the business, um, kind of a, a sense of realism, and it didn't attract the, the best of the world to come and wrestle against other British wrestlers. And British wrestlers tended not to leave to go and face the best in America or Japan or Mexico. So like to me, the, the only two I could think of were being a competition, contention to in their era, they were regarded as one of the best in-ring workers and they got to face the best in-ring workers from America, Japan, Mexico, would be Dynamite and at a push, Billy Robinson, at a push, Billy Robinson. Yeah. But to me, if you again, if you look at output, Osprey, Sabre have more great matches because of the shortness of Dynamite's career and the fact that Billy Robinson didn't tend to have very good matches. Mm. Um, but yeah, so to me, they're clearly uh, the top two. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, like you said, people will say Regal, they'll say Finley, but as you've said, Will, the... The wrestlers who we all highly regard as great workers, but as far as matches and as far as prevalence goes and as far as push, I don't think they're in the conversation. But I'll take Dynamite Kid. I think I think there's definitely there's something to that as far as influence goes. You can maybe make the argument there. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, while as an argument, I think I still do come out with Will and Zach. And yeah, this tournament isn't even over for the two of them. So uh, it'll be interesting to see yeah, if uh, they give us any more uh, arguments, uh, argument for argument's sake as we, we go forward in the G1. Just, just one, the one thing I thought for Zach is obviously there was that kind of dissension uh, between him and Archer after their finish mm. and Archer taking him slightly. My dream match for Sabre at some point in New Japan is him versus Suzuki. Oh, and yeah. so if you did a Sabre Archer at the Copper Box, mm. 
as a setup to say the Suzuki at a big uh, show in Japan. Mm. That that would be brilliant. Oh, I'd take it. Well, that's um, a Wrestle that's a Wrestle Kingdom match for sure. Oh. Say Saber Suzuki at Wrestle Kingdom, like, oh my god, there's a match. That's it, and you could solidify Zack Sabre as maybe a, a higher card guy uh, in New Japan. Um, you know that, that that could that could potentially be on the cards too. Be interesting to see. But keeping it uh, Japanese, uh, very briefly, will because it was a couple of weeks ago now. But both me and you uh, fa- found ourselves at a, a Sendai Girls UK uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, in in Manchester. I should explain my laughter. I thought that was a, seg- a segue to ICW, and it's like from New Japan to ICW. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, would you keep it? But I mean, we'll keep it to the legitimate uh, uh, Japanese promotions here. But yeah, Sendai, Sendai Girls is a promotion that maybe you know. I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm any expert on Sendai or women's wrestling in general. Uh, but as a live show, I had a hell of a time. It was great seeing you, Will. It was very much a Fight Club profiling show and a Fight Club profiling crowd as well. Uh, a male dominant the crowd maybe uh, I'd say maybe about 400 people would you say that's about right Will uh, in the Manchester Academy yeah no I thought it was good I mean yeah it was definitely it was probably more male dominated than a Fight Club Pro show mm. um, but I thought it was a, it was a good show it, mm. great catching up with everybody I think the the one thing from that weekend obviously they did Fight Club Pro the uh, day before is Dash I think they really tried to have it be a coming out party for Dash in the UK so, like, she was kind of put, built as a star in the tag match against Schadenfreude with her and Satomore the night before. And she had a crazy brawl with Kaylee Ray on that Saturday show. Um, full-blown throwing chairs to Kaylee Ray's head, full contact. No, they oh. they went all out. And she's so smooth and dynamic in the ring. I think after this weekend, they could bring her back without Satomura, and I think they'd be interested. Oh, definitely. Uh, she was for me that Ke- Kaylee Ray was kind of a big, kind of. I mean, like Dash got over as well, but Kaylee Ray was kind of my big story out of that much. Just for how willing she was to take that punishment, as you mentioned there, there was a lot of WWE style chairs that she, chair shots she kind of took to the back, but she took one right to the head. She took a nutty bump to the table on the outside. They brawled in the crowd, and like you said, Dash looked an absolute star as well. Yeah, maybe there'd be money in bringing either of them back, really, but you know, just you could do more with Kaylee Ray, as kind of was shown there, and you could do more with Dash. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed that. I thought overall it was a, a great show. I think it was, I think what I really liked about it, Will, was that it was a six match, it, it being a six match card, you know, you. you maybe you could expect a little bit more but i think the matches were so varied and everything kind of seemed to pretty much click like you said whether it was the comedy of Iger and uh and martina and the scooby-doo spots that they kind of did and martina getting over as the the great live act that she is or even you know chris brooks turning up as one of the most over men on the show uh just kind of shows you how all the over schadenfreude is to to take on valkyrie who looked fantastic um on the show as well um that kind of gave you something different having an intergender match on a sendai girls show and as even as far as main events go you know miko and tony storm you know i wouldn't maybe give it more than say 3.75 stars i'm still tony storm the big match wrestler doesn't always do it for me and this was very good um if maybe for me maybe felt feeling a little bit like her ceiling but still you know felt like a big time main event felt like it was important 
the whole show, in fact, felt like it was important to Miko, you know, doing the, the big speech at the end and coming out with all the roster at the start. And yeah, if, you know, you give me a show like that with a bit of a variety, a bit of plunder, a bit of comedy, you know, even an intergender match in there and a big main event, big feeling main event like that, then I'm always going to go ha- home happy, Will. Yeah, just to be clear, Chris Brooks was the most over man on the uh, card. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's okay. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was, a, it was a great card. I thought I thought everything built up together. That six match format is very much like Club Pro. They they kind of mm. they go Two longer for the well. DDTI. Mm. Um, that that's slightly new, but they've been doing the six match card for everything other than DDTI for just over a year now because it used to be no, you were leaving way past midnight. Now, so, I mean, sometimes the main event would be starting as it was turning midnight. And around May last year, they went down to six matches per card. And it's meant that you're, you are actually leaving 11, 11.30, which is not bad when you start in that eight, usually. So six matches are usual. Yeah, they have started this thing of you have an, an intermission mm. midway through. Then just before the main event, they do another intermission. Um, just to give people that extra chance to get to buy their merchandise. But, you know, it's great. Miko is a genuine draw in the UK. Mm. Um, it was quite striking how much busier Fight Club Pro was compared to the previous two months. Um, and she also helped them draw one of their biggest non-DDTI crowds in March as well. Um, so, yeah, she's... I think they've, they've done a good job getting her over to the UK fans, making her seem special and... I hope they bring this back more often because, you know, Eve are uh, run, run the South, you know, primarily London at the moment. And there is space for a major women cards um, in Manchester up north and more broadly for Fight Club. With uh, progress, reducing the number of shows they run, with Defiant closing, there probably is scope to run Manchester more regularly than they do. Um, because they seem to be able to get the Wolverhampton fans up, and there seems to be people from the north who are willing to travel across. Mm. Oh, definitely. There's definitely that. That's it. Does feel like it feels like I would say it felt like a very Fight Club Pro crowd. So I think you're right there. I think you know the busing of fans over. Um, there's a willingness to to do Manchester shows, whether it be the people based there or people travelling who who normally go to to Wolverhampton anyway. And yeah, you could do more Fight Club Pro shows there, but you could also do more Sendai shows. Do you think that? Do you think we'll see more? Uh, Will do you think we're going to get more Sendai shows in the UK? I hope so. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't see the reason not to. Like, that's more over so frequently. She should get a big boost to her exposure when she does the progress match in September. And if they do put their title on her, their women's title on her, she will get no. That will take that will take her to that level with a broader range of Britres fans. So, yeah, to me, I I would do, um, I would do more Sunday Girls uh, shows. She seems to love it in Wolverhampton, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, judging by her Instagram. Love and uh, for the last fight, yeah, I wasn't going to say it. Um, and, um, <laughs> For the last fight in Spirit magazine, I'm, I've done a feature on Miko in the UK, and certainly it seems like they both, both her and the Fight Club Pro people, um, enjoy working with each other. So, yeah, I hope it continues. Definitely. Uh, we'll move it on from there. And yeah, keeping it Japan, as you alluded to before, Will. Uh, just one other quick 
Baby Japan link note, uh, just because we mentioned it on the show a couple of times. Did, did either of you manage to see uh, Kushida versus uh, Jackie po- uh, Polo uh, from uh, Shug's House Party with ICW? Uh, that's an interesting one, Kushida being the uh, strange replacement for Jeff Jarrett on that card. Um, I can't see myself uh, watching the rest of uh, Shug's, unfortunately, anytime soon. Apologies to our Scottish listeners, but uh, I thought it was fun for what it was, if a, if a little bit long. Uh, and just a peculiar sight, seeing now WWE star Kashida who you know left New Japan to apparently come to WWE and, and get loaned out to Scotland to to work Jackie Polo uh did that did you manage to see this one yeah I I, I watched it um and to be honest I was pleasantly surprised by it like I I, I put it on with literally zero expectations and like it was a decent match three I'd give it three and a half stars you know it was um very old like uh, polo strikes me as a very old school wrestler mm. and he like kushida gave him an awful lot he kind of worked from underneath an awful lot i thought some of the mat work to start the match off was really really slick like that's the stuff that kushida really excels in and he was able to kind of show his range of tricks and all that kind of thing um and yeah like a, a, a good match i wouldn't say rush out to see it but probably better than i thought it was going to be mm. uh, but um like my major takeaway was how un ICW like that match was. Like this is the main <laughs> event, very main event of a pretty major show. You have a kind of a, a, a an old school local guy, old school, you know, wrestler in a singlet working a very old school style against a technically gifted Japanese wrestler. Like where is the where is the people going through tables? Where is the bad language? It's like it's like again. Another promotion that's like I was never that particularly interested in ICW, but they were they were a promotion with a very definite philosophy, a promotion with a very definite aesthetic, a, a promotion with a rabid fan base who knew who what they were. They were mm-hmm. unashamed of the type of wrestling they produced. And again, all I could think of watching this, if this is the main event of the show, it's like another promotion that's become neutered by WWE involvement and another show that's been kind of made very bland and very almost uninteresting in preparation for going on the network you know Mm. yeah i think for me i could forgive it as a main event of a big show if maybe if it was if it was kenny williams versus kashida i think that would be like that would make a lot more sense as a match um but yeah i think for me just it's just really random i mean did you see this thing will no i didn't get a chance to see it didn't get a chance to see it yeah you didn't hugely miss out, um, and yeah, that's kind of unfortunately ICW at this uh, this moment in time. Yeah, no, I mean it's. Um, I, I will try and watch it at some point because it's just so weird. But it's just like I think the thing I find with stuff like this is why doesn't WWE, WWE do this with NXT UK more? Like mm. they, they did it for the Plymouth tapings to kind of help the sale ticket sales, but like she just doing nothing in NXT. He has stuck. He has history with Rev Pro over here. You know, a Walter Kashida match would have been fun. Mm. Yeah. That got me. To, that got people to put on NXT UK. Yeah, there you go. And you're giving them something a bit more than just you know Kashida, who's kind of laying around with nothing to do anyway against again you know Jackie Polo, who's uh, allegedly leaving ICW. But interesting one, and yeah, as we kind of joked about it in our last show, we did uh, we did have to bring it up. But before we do get out of here, just a, a couple of uh, quick news notes. Uh, again, kind of with a, with a link to Japan, uh, something we did want to note: Martin Kirby uh, has found himself in Dragon Gate. Thought that's uh, quite an interesting story. He's someone who. 
it's been around around on the British scene for such a long time. Uh, is somebody that other wrestlers, especially in the north, will always point out as someone who's a huge, huge influence uh, on the scene in general, and kind of you know flirted a little bit with you know he was a big star in defiance and what culture and flirted with potentially something happening for him in itv but has never apart from the odd tryout seemingly been on the nxt uk radar so interesting to see him go this other route and you know while some might have expected maybe he's very good at the comedy so i might have expected him in the ddt dragon gate kind of caught me by surprise but certainly uh well deserved uh james are you a, are you a fan of martin kirby Oh yeah, like like just a very solid guy, you know what I mean. And when you think about the fact that he his the two promo, I was looking at his cage match profile there today just to see how many matches he's had in in Dragon Gate so far. And looking down at his twenty nineteen, like the, the two most common promotions in it are World of Sport and Defiant. Like so, there's a guy who's you know who's had two kind of good sources of income pretty much taken away from him in the, in the last six to twelve months in mm-hmm. terms of places he was working and getting regular work that that that's you know, world of sport, it seems to be no more. To find definitely is no more, you know what I mean? So great, delighted for him to get to get the slot in Dragon Gate. Um, I, I, I always remember, do you remember that guy, he was a former Dragon Gate wrestler who did a little tour of the UK there um, towards the end of last year, Naoki Tanazaki, you probably remember him being in mm. fights of pro uh, Will. And, and I always remember that it, it was it was Kirby that kind of was the guy looking after him. I remember him seeing Instagram pictures of the two of them together and having food together. And he basically Kirby took him under his wing and was kind of his, his minder for his time in the UK. And I just wonder, is that the link back? Like, was there a good report sent back to Dragon Gate about this guy and it kind of got him into the promotion and that kind of thing but mm. the very best to look to him go you know it's nice to see veterans kind of who, who've been on the scene a long time who are highly regarded getting to do these things and getting kind of a reward for all their hard work over the years definitely um yeah definitely made up for martin kirby someone i've always been a huge fan of and yeah hopefully hopefully it means he gets a gets a, a big run out there in dragon gate and maybe gets a gets a chance to put his name out there as, as one of the unsung heroes of uh, of many years of brit res now he's been around since the mid 2000s and he's been plugging away so yeah great to see him uh, finally get his due but one other quick note before we go uh will fight club pro have got their rise against show uh coming up in just a couple of weeks and headlined by chris brooks against walter walter back on the scene in uh in fight club pro uh what you make of that and they've got the more than hype uh Trio set up against the Rascals as well. Same weekend that OTT are running that match as well. What you make of the how the the card is uh, is lining up and uh, and uh, the 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 booking of Fight Club Pro right now and the uh, the setup for the show. Also, the third match, which I'll be of interest to you guys, is uh, Jordan Devlin versus Mike Bailey. So mm, big one. Um, Ooh, yeah. yeah. So so this is interesting because this got moved uh, uh, forward a week because it had been on on August thirtieth where they've had no WWE UK guys and probably no Sheldon Freud guys that wanted to be on the, the Summer Sizzler show uh, with the, the link up with New Japan. So they moved it forward a week. And yeah, it's looking good. I mean, I said the at the end of the fight for, the last Fight for Pro show, they did a heavy heat angle where Sheldon Freud kind of cut up Zaki. Zaki, Martin Zaki, the owner of Fight for Pro, is going to bleed all over the place. He says that the Project Mayhem weekend is when they're going to end Fight Club Pro in Project Death House, which sounds like some form of War Games match, War Games Death Match. Mm. And there were people saying, well, hang on, wait a minute, you've got an August show? What are you going to do in August? <laughs> and so 
they have like and like it's it's, it's difficult isn't it because you want to build up the weekend and it's you know it is like other than ddti it's their it's their biggest uh couple of shows of the year you want to build up in advance you want to make it seem special and so they have kind of came out with some big announcements walter came back at the end at their may show um after schadenfreude won the tag titles to um uh, basically beat up Schadenfreude, mm. uh, put, uh, put uh, injure both Brooks and Lycos, kind of explain why Brooks was disappearing for a while. Um, so it, it kind of made sense for him to come back and do something. And I think Brooks-Walter should be a good match. I think they had one in London before Battle Pro last year that got good reviews. Mm. And, you know, Walter's great at beating people up. Chris is great at selling. So it makes a natural partnership. Be interested to see how the more than hype guys go. Um, I don't. I, this will be their first time in Fight Club, but the Rascals are insanely over in Fight Club. They've been over several times last year, so that that would be a little buzz for that. And it's quite nice to see they've they've made the joint uh, poster for the OTT Fight Club matches uh, to kind of uh, make light of the double booking. <laughs> but then that. Devlin Bailey match should be something special because Devlin has had a sneaky good year in Fight Club with some of the match singles matches he's had. He, I mean, this might give uh, James Lee the heaves because we know he's a big Dan Maloney fan. But he actually <laughs> Devlin and Dan Maloney had a really good match a couple of weeks ago. Nice physical, strong style match, which he actually let Maloney win. So, uh, so yeah, so it's shaping up to be a really strong lineup. It will be interesting to see. Um, uh, if Aussie Open are there, because Aussie Open, I think they've announced they are going to be there, but they are due in Paris on the Saturday. So it might be uh, they, they, they're booked quite early so they can get they can get down uh, for the progress show. Nice. Yes, it is looking a pretty strong lineup. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm interested because I've been to Fight Club Pro in a, in a good year now as far as a Wolverhampton show goes. And yeah, I think I'm excited to see Walter back there. I think that match with Brooks will be just with the. You know, but the the grudge behind it, I, I'd like to be there live for that. I am free the twenty third, so I'm interested. But just in general, I think I think the booking of you know the Schadenfreude stuff kind of coming to a head almost. You know, war game style with the Martin Zaki story uh, kind of happening as well. Uh, I think yeah, one criticism we've all had of Fight Club Pro in the past is has been the storytelling and the the booking in advance, and you know they're putting a few of those things right, and these do feel like important shows coming up. So yeah. Could definitely be tempted to uh, to swing around Wolverhampton. Yeah, well. yeah also, they should I mean, just one thing to say is like I thought this the most recent show they got the balance right because mm. they had actually got almost like more conventional promotions where everything was being announced in advance and you were losing spontaneity. Mm. That's a big part of Fight Club Pro. Mm. Um, so I think they got the balance better uh, the most recent show, which was uh, good to see. Definitely. Right. Well, uh, that pretty much uh, brings us to uh, to an end for for this week. Obviously, we'll be back in in two weeks with Martin. But uh, in the meantime, uh, guys, uh, anything to plug? Uh, Jamesy, you got anything going on uh, this month that people should know about? Um, there will be a review in the final episode in the final edition of Fighting Spirit magazine, which is due out in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and yeah, apart from that, just my Twitter uh, at Jamesy underscore twenty fifteen. Awesome. How about you, Will? Uh, yes, so, um, so the Fighting Spirit magazine, I will have a feature on Miko Satomura, um, which will be out in a few weeks' time. But in the current one, um, I have a feature on Pack, 
and the year he's had in the UK. But also, me and Jamesy worked together on a big article about Jonathan Gresham, big article about Jonathan Gresham and a couple of shows we both got to see him at. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, yep, yeah, people should definitely check that out. Um, you can, for, as far as I go, follow me on Twitter at Benson Richard E. You can listen to my uh, Spotlight podcast uh, on the Grapple feed. Uh, follow them at Grapple App on Twitter. And obviously, going to be a very busy weekend on post. So, uh, yeah, keep glued to the Patreon. John Away, I've got tons of reviews coming out this weekend. Uh, uh, Braden and Davey are going to be uh, covering TakeOver as well. And you might uh, see a couple of written reviews on the on the website from me too. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And yeah, as I say, we'll be back in two weeks with Martin. We'll be talking the final build to Royal Quest and uh, to that UK TakeOver that is in fact happening, uh, whether you believe it or not. But uh, yeah, we'll be back myself, Martin and Jamesy in two weeks. <laughs>